Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. Scott's there for the rebound. Some wild play back and forth here. King on the wing. Three-point shot. Good! It's a fast Buffs lead for the first time tonight. 7-5. 16-35 left in the first half. Colton across half court, slows it down now for Colorado. 24 seconds left on this shot clock, 6.38 left in the game. Scott up top, takes a mid-range jumper, it hits! Jay Forty on fire, 24 points, 9-15 from the field, 6-7 from the line, and his second-to-last home game in Boulder. Arizona sideline inbounds pass. York gets it off to Trier. Seven seconds left. Kadeem Allen guarded by Dominique Collier on the three-point line. Gets it off to Alonzo Trier over George King. No good. Dominique Collier for the rebound. Colorado wins. Colorado wins. They upset ninth-ranked Arizona. The fans are on the court. Buffs win 75-72 at the Coors Event Center in Boulder, snapping their 0-11 streak against ranked teams. Colorado beats Arizona for the first time since the St. Valentine's Day Massacre in 2013. Welcome into the PSN Buffs Podcast live from the Blake Street Tavern. I am Jake Shapiro. He is Ryan Koningsberg. Today on the podcast, we're going to be talking about the Arizona sweep. We're going to be talking to Tyler Ziskin about being on the bubble, which is not true anymore. And we're going to talk about the upcoming game against Utah. We're also going to talk about Josh Scott, his final home game. Uh, but first off, Ryan Koningsberg, what is up? What's up, man? Just another day in the life, you know what I'm saying? I don't know what you're saying because my life is not as cool as yours. I just was out there fighting the good fight today. We'll, we'll get into it later about Derek White. Uh, you know, just posted at Club Z looking at looking out over my kingdom. Yep, uh, but first off, let's talk about Arizona, Arizona State. That's the first thing we're going to talk about on this podcast today, the Buffs beating Arizona and then beating Arizona State. But let's get into the big one. The Buffs knock off number nine ranked Arizona on Wednesday night. The fans storm the court. Uh, Shapiro goes crazy on the call. You have all the makings of a great Colorado win. And uh, wow, it was a great Colorado win. And the highlight of it was Josh Scott in his second to last home game going absolutely off. Yeah, it was special to see Josh have a game like that on the biggest stage. Um, I don't think it's any secret that he has sometimes disappeared against a great post defenders like Caleb Tarzuski, those big guys that are, you know, very tough to score on inside. Um, and he went to a whole nother level and took his game and kind of capitalized on that really great touch that he has. Um, when he wasn't able to use his power, he used the touch uh, and he was just absolutely outstanding in that game. Uh, and it's hard. It was hard. I think, you know, we talked about this after the game. It was hard just not to get hyped for him because there's just so much leading up to it. You can tell uh, during the week that he was really kind of sad about this being his last home stand at the Coors Event Center. For him to go out and put a performance out there that everyone, every Buff fan will remember uh, forever was really special. He had 26-9, and nine, and maybe the most positive thing for Josh is that Colorado still won that game because Josh had two turnovers in the final minute of that game, and 
that really could have, could have gone the other way for Josh and how disappointing that would have been. Yeah, but it didn't. So why are you even talking about it? Because I rewatched the game and I was <laughs> like, dang, I forgot that Josh turned over the ball twice here at the end. And I think that will be something that is forgotten. And instead, we're going to remember that the fans stormed the court. And, you know, that was, of course, a big issue. And I think we're going to jump into that a little bit after we recap this game a little bit more. But also a great performance from George King in this game. Josh Fortune all of a sudden hot the last two games, uh, started at this Arizona game. And they really did a good job holding Caleb Tarzuski in this game as well. Uh, and the Colorado backcourt did a good job against the Arizona backcourt. Really, I don't want to say the perfect game, but the Buffs probably played nine to 90% of their capabilities in this game. Yeah, I mean, shoot. Uh Tad Boyle all year had been talking about putting it all together, um, whether you know it's been turnovers or whether it's been poor shooting. It's always been something poor defense, uh, poor defense on the perimeter. It's always been something plaguing them in all these games. Uh, and when they needed it most, they put it all together. And I think uh, Tad put it great with the, the John Wooden quote after the game. You know, uh, great players are at their best when their best is needed, and uh, great teams are are that way too. And that's how they were. That's how they were in the game. Uh, they put together their best performance of the year when they needed it most. And they got the biggest win, and now they're going to be dancing. Yeah, and, and this win puts them, uh, I mean, coupled with the Arizona State win, but these two wins really solidify Colorado into March Madness, and especially considering where they were last year, the you know, we were sitting in that press conference, and the sports information department comes in and goes, the 21st regular season win today ties Colorado's all-time mark. And I just, you weren't in there at the time. I just look at Patrick, who works for Adam over at Buff Stampede, and I go, wow. Like, compared to where we thought this team was going to be going into this year, like, who expected that to be said after the Arizona weekend? Right. I mean, heck, I've, I've eaten my fair share of, of crow this year, so I don't think we need to go into that anymore. But uh, it's really... Uh, it's really special, really. That's what it is, and it's a team. The reason it's special to me, I think, is because it's a team that I feel like deserves it. I feel like those guys deserve uh, the accolades. They deserve the records. They deserve to have a great season. Because it's a team of good guys who really, really came together this season. Um, after last year, they could have all split apart. Uh, and I think mixed with Tad Boyle turning up his coaching a bit and uh, the team letting Josh Scott be their leader – those two things combined have made this a really great team. Uh, and you see how important chemistry is. And the chemistry of this team is contagious. You know, it makes – it's part of the reason, uh, you know, I show up at the beginning of practice instead of the end of practice just to talk, talk to Tad Boyle. They're fun to watch uh, play together. They're fun to watch practice together. They have fun playing together. They have fun practicing together. All of that put together makes for a really special season. And now they have a chance to go and set the all-time – program record for wins in a, in a regular season and we'll talk about that game at the end of the podcast against utah in salt lake city on saturday but uh before we go into arizona state any other key takeaways from this arizona game no i, th I think we basically covered it i think you know it the attendance I'll, I'll talk about i mean that was great and i think um ted and i have gone back and forth with this a little bit i, I consider ted the attendance guru um it's almost unfortunate that, that that game's always at the end of the season because it gets everyone hyped. Uh, and it's the thing that, student, you know, I'm sure there's a student sitting at home right now saying, dang, this was fun this weekend. Why didn't we go earlier in the season? Uh, and, you know, they'll be there next year, and that's great. But I remember back uh, 
when I was in high school, and it would always be, you know, the Boulder High football game uh, for Fairview. After that, all the students would get hyped about that. Oh, we can go, you know, get drunk for these games and yell and scream and have a good time. Uh, and, and it was they, always and after. Did, and they did move that to the start of the season. Right, now. exactly. So, it, and you see the effects of that uh, in terms of getting fans hyped for it. Um, so, in that sense, that's the, it's kind of a bummer, but it also is great that it's at the end of the season for the Buffs because now they're as confident as they've ever been. Um, this team has, it has never been short on confidence, but right now they feel great about themselves. And how many people are going to go pick up and leave and go to Vegas to watch this team? I'm doing it. You know, I, there, there's, I know a lot of people that are like, okay, they beat Zona. I know I want to go to Vegas because I want to see them. You know, I think they can do something special. And I think not only me, but a lot of people just thought that and are like, all right, well, I'm picking up and leading to Vegas. Yeah, I, I hope that's true because, um, to be frank, the Buffs crowds in Vegas since that first year when they were trying to repeat as Pac-12 tournament champions, the crowds have been pretty weak. I'm looking to Tyler here to validate what I'm saying, and he's not, so I don't think he was paying attention. But in my opinion, the crowds haven't been great, uh, and it's kind of a bummer because you saw going back to the actual NCAA tournament in Albuquerque, which was only a little bit closer than Vegas, the fans showed up and made an absolute difference. Uh, really, really, really changed that game against UNLV and pushed the Buffs in that Baylor game, which they obviously ended up losing. But if CU fans could get out there and make a difference in Vegas, it would be huge. Uh, I think they're usually the second or third most, but second or third most to Arizona is a difference of about, oh, 9,000 people. So, uh, you know, I think they just – CU fans need to get out there uh, and support this team because – Heck, they didn't do it as well as they could have all season. Second game of this homestand was a 69 to, or 79 to 69 win over Arizona State. Senior day, Josh got maybe not the pinnacle performance, but he made some big buckets down the stretch. Still was pretty solid. George King had some big buckets in this game, and Josh Fortune just went absolutely off. Yeah, uh, the Josh Fortune thing is another thing that's very, very encouraging. Um, it had, and, and I'd made this comparison once before, and I say I don't like when people compare the two players, but it has a Carlin Brown-esque feel to it where the transfer is getting hot at the right time at the end of the season, and maybe, just maybe, he can be the key to some sort of run uh, in the postseason. But going back to senior day, I think it was, it was a special day at the Coors Event Center. Um, if you think about it, some of the greats that have been here during this Tad Boyle era – uh, most of them, if not all of them, haven't been able to get a senior day send-off because Alec Burks, Andre Robertson, Spencer Dinwiddie all left before they were a senior. So to me, it was the most emotional senior day I can remember. Um, I don't necessarily remember Corey's being quite as emotional. All I know is as Josh Scott took to the microphone, I saw a six foot eight, 280-pound man crying courtside. He's laughing because he's sitting right next to me. Uh, it was that kind of, it was that kind of, the, that kind of day. There was, I mean, he wasn't the only one shedding tears. I think it was just a, a realization of, of Josh God's greatness and not only his greatness on the court, but his greatness off the court. And, you know, that's what makes you fall in love with a player is a player who is always so classy with the media. Um, if you, you know, if you see him in the streets and, and say what up, he's always going to be extremely gracious and talk to you. So um, when the quote-unquote known hater is shedding tears that it's his last 
last game, I think it, it shows you how special it is. I mean, Tad said it post-game where he said, uh, I want my son to grow up to be like Josh Scott. That's the kind of guy he is. But Absolutely. The, but the moment where it hit me, when Josh, you know, I was thinking all day, all week, for weeks, that this is last home game, whatever, Josh Scott, Josh Scott, going to be a celebration of Josh. The moment where it hit me and I was like, dang, this is Josh's last home game, was that dunk. I just got absolute goosebumps uh, sitting on media row when Josh dunked that ball home. Yeah, for me, um, I think it was when, uh, and it, it was almost like the focus was on someone else, but it was when he called that timeout to get Brett uh, and Eli in, it, that's when it kind of set in for me because it was it was such a cool moment. Um, and, it ha- it like, you know, you're thinking of the game and they're about to win and you almost forgot about Eli and Brett. And all of a sudden, you know, you see him call a timeout and it's like there's this ovation for those two guys. There's the ovation for Josh. Uh, and it was all – it was like, okay, now it's, now, now, I've, now it's time for emotion, you know. The game is in hand. Uh, this is when everyone can kind of start to feel that it, it's really over. Uh, any takeaways from the actual game? Because, you know, Colorado, up for most of this game, really should have blown Arizona State out several different times in the game, kept letting Arizona State hang around, hang around, and then finally with about six minutes to go, they extended the lead. Uh, but, you know, they, it was 14-point lead in the first half, and you're, you're looking at it and like, oh, Eli might get in, uh, Brett might get in here, you know, halfway through the second half if things keep going the way they are. And then Colorado lets Arizona State get back, and you know it was back and forth, back and forth until about six minutes left. Yeah, I'll just say this: I, let's hope that uh, if CU does make the tournament and they make it past the first round, let's hope they're not playing on a Sunday morning because, or a Sunday early afternoon, because I don't think they've ever played uh, through and through great game on a Sunday like that. It, it, so I, I almost expected it. I never expected them to totally step on the throat and win the game by thirty. Um, I promised Tyler before the game that they would win by double digits, and they won by double digits. So, you know, obviously you don't want to let ASU do that, but ASU had some guys who don't normally shoot well, uh, knocking down fadeaway three-pointers. It's one of those days where, like, every time the Buffs were going to put them away, they did something out of of character and kind of helped them come back into it. There was a time for, like, four minutes where it was literally just – the teams were trading buckets. It was five-point lead, three-point lead, five-point lead, three-point lead, five-point lead, three-point lead. And it was like, okay, just get some stops and you're going to win this game. Finally, they decided to do it. The other thing I think from this weekend that is uh, a key takeaway, you know, they finish out the home slate. They finish out the home slate 16-1. and one. That is an absolutely fantastic mark. Yeah, that, that, that Utah game has been bothering people the whole season. Uh, it, it almost seems to come up so much. And it never really hit me, it like, it never really hit me until right after the game that that was going to turn out to be the only home loss of this. And that was the first time I was like, oh, well, that's kind of annoying. Why'd they lose that? So that was the first time I really thought it was as big of a deal as other people thought. You, you never uh, – Tad Boyle has been dying to go undefeated at home since he got here. And every time they lose the first game at home, it's like you can tell it's just killing him inside. Um, and – I guarantee you, he before he falls asleep every night, at some point he thinks about that damn Utah game, Lorenzo Bonham flicking one in at the last second to kill his, his shot at the perfect home record, which he wants so, so desperately. Good news for the Buffs is they have another chance at it. What? 
music's really loud. Oh. Well, good news for the Buffs, they have another chance at Utah. Good news for Shap is Shap had an awesome call on, on that Lorenzo bottom shot. <laughs> um, sorry. I, I, sometimes I have to think about myself. But on the other side of this break, Ryan's going to talk to Tyler Ziskin about where the Colorado Buffaloes stand in terms of March Madness, the big dance, the big one. Not the small dance like the CBI, the big dance. The CBI is not even a dance. It's like... Um, a middle school dance where everyone just goes and shows up and stands on opposite sides. It's a Girl Scout retreat, Tyler's just been saying in my ear. Hey, man, I told everyone at that middle school that I had, uh, I kissed a girl. Didn't happen, but I told everyone at the middle school I kissed a girl. <laughs> so, big mouth over here. Uh, but Still hasn't happened, right? Ah, uh, <laughs> the, the girl who sung the national anthem at the Arizona game got some shaft love. Oh, okay. Uh, that's <laughs> the last time we'll ever talk about shaft love here on the podcast. Um, on the other side, we'll have Tyler and Ryan. Thanks. Hi, this is Justin Gold from Justin's. If you've had my nut butter or my peanut butter cups, then you know that I take my products and my customers very seriously. So when I needed my roof replaced, I wanted somebody who feels the same way about their customers and their products that I do. Luckily for me, I found exactly that when I went to Chip Bezo from Chip's Roofing, and he provided me with a service that I'll never forget. Not only did they build me a beautiful high-wind roof with the best products available, but the quality, price, and service was exceptional. I was in contact with Chip the entire time, and him and his crew couldn't have been more professional. Chip's Roofing has my business for life. Chips Roofing, Colorado's high-wind roofing experts for 30 years. You can find us online at chipsroofingllc.com. That's chipsroofingllc.com. Or call us now at 720-938-ROOF. That's 720-938-ROOF. Once again, 720-938-ROOF. Hi, I'm Erica Chenard, and I've been helping Colorado homeowners buy and sell for 14 years. From the biggest names in Colorado to first-time buyers, I treat each and every one like an MVP. I've sold over 170 homes in the last 12 months, and I can help you sell your current one or buy your next one. Call me, Erica Chenard, at 720-663-1003 or online at denvercohomes.com. Of course you want to be in better shape, and of course you want to change the way you eat, but it's easier said than done. Hi, I'm Adam Kinney, and like you, I've tried a million different things to accomplish this before I found the solution. Now, I go to Ironclad Fitness off of Evans. The days of long, boring cardio sessions are over. My kettlebell training to Ironclad is fast, innovative, and it really works. At this rate, I'll never step on a treadmill again. Let Ironclad Fitness change your life like they're changing mine. Ironclad Fitness. Hey, Josh, what happened to Colorado Keg House? I was just there yesterday, Adam. It's the same great place with 72 Colorado craft beers on tap. Really? I heard they had up to 60 breweries in there. I figured they must have moved into a huge building or something. That means they have up to 60 different breweries on tap, dude. Do you think they actually crammed 60 breweries in there? Oh, so they still have 27 TVs? Yeah. And NFL Sunday ticket? Yep. Cool. Still awesome. Colorado Keg House, Colorado's home for craft beer by the First Bank Center in Broomfield. Welcome back into the BSN Buffs podcast from the Blake Street Tavern. Uh, but if you're not downtown and you're not heading to the Blake Street Tavern, maybe you're a little further south, it's time to check out the Clock Tower Grill. Uh, just outside the Lincoln Light Rail Station, stop by Clock Tower Grill, and maybe when you're heading downtown for a Nuggets, Avs, whatever it is, 
from $3 Long Islands on Mondays to 75 cent wings on Wednesdays, $3 shots on Fridays. There's no better place to get your event started at the Clock Tower Grill. Unless you're at the Blake Street Tavern, which I'm biased, but it's my favorite place to get any party started. Uh, and we are here with Tyler Ziskin for a new segment titled Off the Bubble, folks, because the buffs are no longer on the bubble. Tyler Ziskin, explain to the fans why they do not have to stress on Selection Sunday. Well, it's because they won their home games, which we've talked about a million times. You know? Um, no, but honestly, though, it was a big week for us because you get two top 100 wins. Uh, Arizona State, 11th in the conference, but still a top 100 RPI win, and pretty reason, pretty comfortably, too. I think they're like 87th right now. And um, Arizona, obviously, is a huge win. They were ranked 9th at the time. doesn't really matter for the committee. Um, they're outside the top 25 in the RPI, but still you're getting a top 50 win. Those are all important. Um, CU has four top 50 wins now. That puts them comfortably on the upper third of everybody on the bubble. Um, that's including teams that are, like, well into the field. There are four teams that are six seeds or better uh, among the 42 in my data analysis, or five teams, excuse me. So for them to be ninth in top um, 50 wins is huge. You know, that means they're basically in that next tier, that seven, eight, nine seed range um, pretty comfortably. Uh, right now, their expected RPI is uh, right around 30 if they lose to Utah, which I think is probably the expectation more, you know, if, if that does happen. Um, that's a single-digit seed, no question about it. Um, people have been kind of looking at Ken Palm lately, wondering if that's going to affect us. I don't think it really is much, to be honest. They don't use it that much um, as of now. And to be honest, the emphasis for the committee is on wins, and Ken Palm doesn't stress that as much. I mean, at the end of the day, you want to get the wins. Um, we've had a very difficult schedule, too. And to have 21 wins, you would be hard-pressed to even consider leaving us out. So we called this segment on the bubble because, you know, that's what fans cared about for a while. You know, where do they stand? Um, that's why you were useful to us. <laughs> Since they're off the bubble, you got to make yourself useful in some other way. So let's talk about seeds. Um, okay. you, met, you touched on it a little bit there. Let's just go through a couple scenarios talk about what potential seed you expect the buffs to fall on uh let's start with loss to utah loss to washington state in the first round of the pac-12 the worst case scenario yeah that's the worst case scenario and for me that's we're still in so i i, I said before if we won two games we'd be a lock i still feel that way um washington state obviously would give us a bad loss but um, looking at the numbers that gives us an expected rpi of somewhere around 44 uh, that would be the highest seeded team or RPI team to ever be left out of the NCAA tournament um, and from a Power 5 conference. That's super unlikely to happen this year, A, because we play in a great league, B, because this is probably the weakest NCAA tournament field in recent memory. So for us to get left out in that scenario would be super unlikely. Like I said, I, mean, I still think it's 100% lock. I'd be absolutely shocked if we got left out. And I think anybody else who follows this would tell you the same. Um, our resume is just that much better than the teams vying to get those last four spots into the tournament right now. So for me, um, I don't even think if I had to guess that wouldn't even put them in a playing game. It might put them in an 11 or a late 10, but to me, they're still going to be comfortably in. So 10 or 11, you think? Yeah. Okay. Let's go to the next scenario, which to me is probably the most likely, and I guess Vegas would say it's the most likely. Win the games you're favored in, lose the games you aren't favored in. So beat or, sorry, lose to Utah, beat Washington State, lose their second-round game in the tournament. Yeah, I mean, that's actually a great scenario for us because 
just playing Utah, who's right now eighth in the RPI, is going to help us. Um, at the very least, a loss, you're going to stay right on the same seed line. Like I told you, their expected RPI, if they lose that game, is 30. So right now we're at 28, and the gap between the two is not very big at all. So no, no major changes there. Um, losing that Utah game, and then obviously beating Washington State doesn't help you much in terms of an RPI, but you, then you get to play probably what looks to be either Cal or Arizona next on neutral court, and that's a good resume booster for the RPI as well because you're playing a great opponent, one that's going to be in the NCAA tournament. So the result of that game isn't going to hurt you either. So I would say at worst that bumps you down to like m maybe 35 or 36 in the RPI. Still single-digit seed. Somewhere probably not a 7 in that case, but you'd be uh, an 8-9 seed line matchup I think is still most likely in that scenario. Let's go to let's, – let's cater to the most optimistic of fan out there. Buffs beat Utah. Uh, Arizona loses to Cal. Buffs get a four seed in the tournament and make a run, win the Pac-12 tournament. How high can the Buffs possibly go on the seed line? Well, I mean, I guess if you win the whole thing, you could get up to a four probably would be the max. Um, I'm not going to say that's likely, but, <laughs> I mean, if, if, if that's what you were to do, um, yeah, I mean, I definitely think – it, this is going to probably cause a stir, unfortunately. So I'm going to say it anyway, though, because we can all dream, right? But if that were to happen, you would have to start looking at us at potentially playing here in Denver if you were to able to get up to that four seed, um, which would be awesome. I mean, because the amount of people that would show up for that game, that would be a huge home court advantage, um, something that would be amazing to be a part of and much easier to travel to as well. So <laughs> that's good for all of us, too. Um yeah, I mean, it, it's certainly possible. I mean, you would have let's for that to happen, you would have a road win against a top ten RPI team. You would have three neutral court wins, three, yeah, three neutral court wins, all against likely top twenty five RPI opponents. That I mean, that doubles the number of RPI top fifty wins we have in a week. So I mean, that obviously helps your resume quite a bit. Um, but we'll just have to see how it goes. I mean, I really do th that. I mean, for obviously a hundred percent certainty, if we Utah and then win a Pac-12 tournament game we're going to be at worst a seven seed okay that was, so that was my next question um let, let's go one more scenario here let's assume they lose to Utah still playing on the first day of the Pac-12 tournament how many wins would they have to get to get into that seven six seed range uh they'd probably have to get to the finals at least okay um what's you see a lot of times like so where do you so then where would you have them say beat Washington State, and then say they play Arizona they'd on the second day, beat be, Arizona again. They'd have to beat Arizona, and then they'd probably have to beat Cal, I guess, would be the most likely scenario there. Or Utah. It'd be well, Utah. Either of them, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, you, I think we'd have to get both of those probably. So still just because an eight seed if they, they were to win two games in the Pac-12 tournament? If it's Washington State and one other team. Yeah, probably. They might sneak into a seven, but definitely not up to a six. It just depends on what the committee favors in a given year, you know. You don't know exactly how it's going to go. Usually you can get it pretty accurately within two seed lines. Um, I, I will say, though, that a lot of the, most of the time the tournament results don't move the needle that much for the committee. Um, very rarely do they take a, put a team in or out based on the tournament, unless obviously you go on a run and win it. Um, because you, you see a lot of the best teams – they don't really care about it, you know. Like, you see Duke loses this tournament all the time. Arizona, lose, Arizona loses this tournament all the time. So they take that into account that a lot of these teams are just, you know, they're, what they're focused on is the NCAA tournament, as they should be. The regular season, obviously, is important, how they finish there. 
Um, so you don't see too much seed movement usually from from Pac-12 or any conference tournament result. Cool. Uh, the next thing is more broad here. Um, how many teams are you looking at getting into the NCAA tournament from the Pac-12 now? Um, seven is definitely a possibility now. USC is scaring me a little bit lately. They've fallen off a bit, um, but they do have two home games down the stretch, and they have a chance to beat Oregon at home in the last game of the year. That's a big opportunity for them. Right now they're comfortably in, um, but they they if they lose to Oregon State or Oregon at home, they're going to make their lives difficult for sure, um, especially since they've lost, I think, five of their last six games. No, no brutal losses or anything along that stretch, but still, I mean, you want to finish a little bit stronger than that. Um, Oregon State, at, by that same token, if they win that game at USC, they have to be in. I mean, people have been kind of hard on them because they have they played two less games than everybody else, which still doesn't make any sense to me at all. But the top end of their resume is fantastic. Right now, they have eight wins in conference play. If they could get to nine and nine with the RPI that they would be sitting at, I'd be very shocked if they got left out as well. So to me, seven feels pretty comfortable right now. Cool. I think that is going to wrap it up here for Off the Bubble with Tyler Ziskin. Tyler. Before we let you go, how hyped are you for Vegas? Oh, it's going to be so much fun. <laughs> I did want to throw one more thing in there. Oh, Canada. go for it. Yeah, so kind of on the further off-the-bubble topic, I was going to kind of compare us real quickly to a few of the teams that are actually the last four in, according to Jerry Palm right now. Tyler doesn't want to get off the microphone. He only yeah. gets 10 minutes a night. <laughs> I just like to talk, you know. So I just wanted to – so the four teams that, that he has last four in right now are Cincinnati, St. Bonaventure, Michigan, and Vanderbilt. And obviously Vanderbilt's been a little bit hot lately. Um, they probably have the best top half of their resume compared to ours. So we're both four and seven in the RPI top 50. Um, they're seven and nine in the RPI top 100, and we're nine and nine. So they're the close. They're, they're the only team that has seven or more wins uh, among that last four. The problem for them, of course, is that they're 13-11 against the top 200. So they have far more losses. We're 15 and nine. And then they also have two bad losses, and they're only three and eight on the road. So those are the things that kind of separate them from us. For Michigan, they actually have a super interesting resume, in my opinion. They have more RPI top 25 wins, but they lost to every single team they played ranked 25th through 100. They're 3-6 and six against the RPI top 25, but 3-10 against the top 100 compared to our 9-9. Nine and nine. So obviously that's a dramatic gap difference there. Um, but they also don't, they're the only team on the four that don't have a bad loss, so that's good for them as well. And then St. Bonaventure have only played um, four top 50 games. So that's, you know, like those common issues among the small schools. Um, and, you know, they have, they have two bad losses, including two, including two LaSalle, who's ranked ra around 250th in the RPI. So you start to see, like, why these teams are down there. They have blemishes on their resume that we just don't have. And then Cincinnati, um, it's kind of interesting. They have just kind of most of the generic, the classic wire on the bubble, the most generic um, resume of all time. They have two top 50 wins um, and six top 100 wins below 500 in both categories. And then they're just 11 and 8 against the top 200 compared to us having 15 wins. They also have one bad loss. So you can kind of see we're t a tick or two in most cases ahead of all these teams, and most of them only have two games to play. So there's not enough time to catch up for any of these guys, which is why I start to feel very comfortable for us getting in. I think if you're listening right now, uh, you're glad Tyler just did this last thing because when you hear him say that out loud, you understand there's just no chance that the Buffs can be next to one of those right. teams on the bubble with the way their resume looks, uh, especially with no bad losses, especially with all those wins. It's, it's fairly obvious um, there's nothing you can really do 
com no team you can compare them to and say this team can get in and, and this team shouldn't. Yeah, exactly, because there's just not enough time left in the season at this point. Two regular season games, even a good run, you get two top 100 wins, and not a single team on, the, on that list is going to pass what we've done. So for us, we're sitting pretty comfortable. So everybody pack those dancing shoes because uh, it's going to be fun. And bring your dancing shoes to Vegas, too, just in case we need them there. Yeah, bring your goofy boy swag shoes. <laughs> All right, that's going to do it for, <laughs> again, Off the Bubble with Tyler Ziskin. Uh, make sure you get down here to the Blake Street Tavern. Check him out this weekend. He will make you a cool drink if you ask him to. He's good at that. Uh, yeah, before I leave on Sunday. Yes. Can we talk about that? Oh, my gosh. Oh, wait, yes. Real quick, Tyler Ziskin is going to attempt – one of the craziest things that anyone's <laughs> ever done in humankind. Yeah, I'm, so I'm going to Vegas for eight days. Um, there's a reason for it, but I'm not. Well, I am excited about it, but at the same time, I'm concerned for my life. <laughs> um, so the bar and restaurant, well, bar and nightclub convention is what it's really called, actually, um, is the three days before the Pac-12 tournament. So me and the boss man are flying out on Sunday for that and doing that until Tuesday. And then uh, the Pac-12 tournament starts Wednesday, and then I'm out here till Sunday. So... Sunday to Sunday. It's going to be, uh, well, if I don't see you guys again, just know that I love you. <laughs> Please, I think we talked about this last week. Just stay alive until my birthday. Oh, yeah. I'll make it to your birthday. I want to see it's 24 by, with you. It's by, like, Friday that I'm, <laughs> I feel like I'm starting to be in some trouble. But I'll make it to the birthday. While we're breaking news here, uh, Jake and I have, decided, have made the executive decision that we are going to drive because it, gas is so dirt cheap right now. It is unbelievable. That like it's, it would be stupid for us not to drive. I, round trip, it's going to cost me about one hundred and twenty to one hundred and fifty dollars yeah. total to drive. Might make Jake throw in a few bucks, or maybe he just has to buy the snacks. Last year it was like at least double the price. I mean, it's it's down to the point now that it's like what I was when I got my license way back in the Stone Age. Yeah, I mean, back when <laughs> the Model T was the only yeah, car you could baby. get, named after me, <laughs> <laughs> the Model T Z. <laughs> Oh, Jake wants to. Yo, and uh, if you guys want to meet Tyler, we're probably going to do a little BSN Buffs uh, Buff Twitter meetup one of the days in Vegas. Oh, in Vegas. Yeah, in, in Vegas. So uh, we're thinking about doing it depending on what day the Buffs play and what where they're seated. So just look out for that. We'll announce it, and you'll get to meet Tyler, Will, Matt, me, Ryan, anyone that really yeah. wants to show up. Things will get super crazy. We'll have a sweet party. Well, yeah, that, we we. Because I always feel bad. Everyone on Twitter, all we ever talk about for the, the last month of the season is, you know, we're all going to Vegas. And it's like all of Twitter is going there. But w when you get to Vegas, it's so hard to, you know, oh, yeah, know. let's meet here or whatever. So w we were talking about it. You know, let's have a Buffs Twitter dinner. We'll go okay. to. Uh, That's a good idea. What's that Italian place that has a funky name? Oh, gosh. I'm not going to remember. But that was fun. Right. We went there last year. They have massive tables, free wine. I think we should go. We'll set yeah. up a dinner and go there yeah. uh, and get as many people from Buff's Twitter to come as we want because then we'll all meet up. We'll have fun. Uh, and uh, we'll, yeah, we'll check the, that off the We'll Vegas make sure thing. we get this set up before we leave right. so that everybody you know, can kind of get their ducks in a row. As soon as we know the seatings and what, what time yeah. we expect the Buffs to play, it'll be easier to look at that. Yep. All right. Well, like I said, get out to the Blake Street Tavern. Uh, weekend specials are great here. $5 Cuervo, gold or silver. $5 three olive vodka. Uh, $5 Jack Daniels original, Jack Daniels fire, Jack Daniels honey. Maybe you want to come down this week and check out some of the Pac-12 women's tournament. That starts on Tuesday, Wednesday. That's maybe Thursday. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but it starts just this show week. show up. We'll have something on TV. You, they, and there's, you can probably watch it here. 
So get out to Blake Street Tavern, and thank you again, Tyler. Yeah, no problem. Why go to the Clock Tower Grill? Because of the burgers? Sure. How about the 15 big screen TVs and the 100-inch projection screen? Okay. How about the fact that it's conveniently located at the Lincoln Light Rail Station? Yep. We could do this all day. The bottom line is that the Clock Tower Grill has unique food and drink specials every single day and offers something for everyone all the time. Head down to the Lincoln Light Rail Station and let's have some fun at the Clock Tower Grill. Rain, sleet, or snow, 24 hours a day, residential or commercial. You name it, A-Team does it. A-Team Garage Doors will meet or beat any estimate and offer same-day repairs. A-Team Garage Doors has a five-star rating and is a home advisor elite service provider. Call A-Team Garage Doors at 720-556-8016. That's A-Team Garage Doors, 720-556-8016. Call 8016 for the A-Team. When is the last time you went to the Rock Restaurant and Bar on Smoky Hill Road? With 69-cent wings on Mondays, trivia on Tuesdays, and $2 domestics during happy hour and weekends, the Rock Restaurant and Bar is the only choice when I'm in South Aurora. They're open 9 a.m. to 2 a.m. every day, making them a great place for a big breakfast, tasty lunch, or a nice dinner. The Rock is off of Smoky Hill Road, just a few blocks west of E-470. Find them online at therockrest.com. That's therockrest.com. $3 beer specials, $4 shot specials, $5 appetizer specials, and two-for-one 10-inch pizzas. All of that happens every Sunday at Ernie's Bar and Pizza. Not only does Ernie's have the best deals, but they were just voted number one New York-style pizza in Denver by the Westward. Why go anywhere else? Make Ernie's Bar and Pizza your home for football on Sundays. Ernie's Bar and Pizza, 44th and Federal in Old North Denver, where the Pisons live. If you're tired of the same old sports bar experience, it's time to check out the Sunset Grill. They have the NFL Sunday Ticket, NHL Center Ice, NBA TV, and yes, even the Pac-12 Network. But they also have a gorgeous view from their spacious deck. They have dry ribs, wings, and mussels to go with their ice-cold beer. They have $4 Bud and Bud Light pitchers on Sundays, and their happy hour is from 11 a.m. to 7 p.m. every day. So next time you're looking for a place to watch the game, do it a little different and go to the Sunset Grill off Holly and County Line in Centennial. Sunset Grill. We're back on the BSN Buffs podcast. Real quick, Chef. Uh, we just broke the news that we're driving to Vegas. You're coming. Stoked about that. Uh, uh, also break the news. It was slightly broken on Twitter. Shap is also getting a haircut before Vegas. Getting look looking real fresh. But but, but like we don't even know how much hair I'm cutting off yet. Just just FYI. If I have any say in it, you're coming to Crisp on the same day I do, and we'll get the little father son deal. Twenty five bucks. Get us both looking fresh heading out there. But one more thing, my man, you gotta get suited up. You gotta get yourself a nice suit this week. Yeah, my mom was going to take me to Men's Warehouse. And no, 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 up. no, no, no. If you're look, trying to look fresh, you got to get down to suit mechanics. Suit mechanics? I, bro, I think you're thinking of boot mechanics. Are you, are you confusing another place with boot mechanics? Oh, what am I thinking? Of course, boot mechanics. That's not a suit place. It's where you can go and meet 
professional skier Jeremy Johnston. He's going to get your feet so comfortable in your ski boots because they use a mold that takes a perfect uh, mold of your foot. They turn that into a footbed so you can be skiing on the clouds. Yeah, they're the best place to go in the world for ski boots that we know of. And uh, you can visit them online at www.bootmechanics.com or go to their store in Golden. Yeah, and for you, I guess we'll just have to go to Nordstrom Rack. Uh, okay. And for the Buffs, they're going to Salt Lake City to play the Utah Utes, the 13th ranked Utah Utes, who are uh, half game behind Oregon for the Pac-12 lead right now. If they beat the Buffs this weekend and Oregon finds a way to go one and one this weekend, I believe Utah would tie for the Pac-12 lead. So the Buffs not only have a chance to get into the top four seeds, which we'll talk about in a second, but Utah is playing for a chance to win the Pac-12. Right. Uh, there will be no shortage of motivation in Salt Lake City. Uh, I expect a very, very good crowd out there that day. Um, it's going to be a, a tough, 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 tough matchup. But the thing is for the Buffs is they match up well with Utah. And Tad Boyle even said as much after the game the other night. So I, 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 everything is telling me that, you know, it's all going against the Buffs. It could be a rough night if we know anything about them going on the road. But I... I Folks, I always go with my gut when I tell you things. When I told you they were going to get swept in L.A., that was my gut. When I told you they were going to beat Arizona, that was my gut. I'm not going to go as far as to say they're going to win this game. My gut feeling tells me it's going to be a very, very closely contested game. Last time out, the Buffs lost 56-54 to on a fantastic layup from Lorenzo Bonham on the left side. One of his 37 fantastic layups in that game. Yeah, and I'm going to play that clip right now. Here comes Bonham. Bonham being guarded by Josh Fortune. Bonham pulls out with seven seconds left. He has the ball dribbling. Goes left side. Four, three. Goes up for a layup with left hand. Banks it off the glass with one second. Big time shot, Bonham. Josh Fortune with a heave off the glass. Utah steals a win from Colorado here at the Coors Event Center. Bonham, who was finishing all night, finished off the buffs with a great left-handed layup off the glass. Utah wins it 56-54 here in Boulder, Colorado. Now that you've listened to that clip, you remember how devastating that was for the Buffs. As if they needed a reminder. Right, but, you know, that's the reminder all year. Like we said earlier in this podcast, it's the Utah loss. It's the Utah loss at home. And Josh Scott even said, I want my revenge for that Utah loss. And you feel pretty good about this. But, you know, even in that game, they held Jakob Pertle pretty quiet. He only had six points in that 56-54 loss. They played a pretty good game defensively against Utah, so what can they do? Uh, play better down the stretch. If you remember in that game, they played awful down the stretch, and it was uh, the first, the third or fourth time they had done that late in a game in a row, if you remember, with the SMU game. Uh, the Cal game. The Cal and game, Stanford. they just got, they, they got spanked. The Stanford, the Stanford one, game, yeah. they uh, scored zero points in the last 10 minutes and still won the game. Or zero field goals in the last 10 minutes and still won the game. Um, and even the Penn State game, they played bad down the stretch. So it was at a time I remember asking Tadwell after the game, is this a continual problem? And he, he wasn't too happy about that question. Uh, and they went and got it straightened out. They haven't been near, quite as bad late in games. Um, Tad Boyle teams are always going to see their leads shrink late in games. It's just how they run their offense when they get wins and hate it or love it, uh, get used to it because Tad Boyle ain't going anywhere for a long time. So, you know, all they have to do is execute better down the stretch if they want to win um, a game like that. Now, 
the, the challenge for them is going to be playing as well as they did at home, uh, especially defensively against the Yaka uh, Pirtle. It's going to be tough. Uh, at home, you know, Brandon Taylor playing great basketball. He was named ESPN National Player of the Week, uh, even though his stats weren't quite as impressive as Josh Scott's, in my opinion. There's a lot going right for the Utes right now, and they're going to be playing for a lot. The Buffs need to come out with a vengeance, and I just feel like they will. I feel like um, you'll see focus at an all-time high going into this game. They got a cu- they're getting a couple days this week to rest their bodies. They get today and tomorrow, or I guess if you're listening, they, get, they got Monday and Tuesday off. Um, I think that's important for them this late in the season. Nice move by Tad Boyle. Uh, and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday in practice for them, I think you're going to see an all-time high in focus, and you're going to see that translate to the court on Saturday. And that's why I feel so good about it. I think they're going to come out with a real strict game plan, uh, and you're going to see guys completely dialed in. I don't feel weird about saying this right now, but one of the goals set for this team all season uh, in-house was competing for the Pac-12 regular season title. And you know they're not going to get there. But something they've never done before is win 22 regular season games, and something they haven't done is get a top-four seed. Both things that they can do by, or put themselves in position to do, one they would obviously do by beating Utah. So maybe they don't reach their in-house, like, you know, insane goal or whatever. Uh, the football teams is always making the bowl game. Uh, but football teams was win the Rose Bowl, right. actually. But you know what? They'll do something that hasn't been done before in school history, and there's something to be said for that. Oh, absolutely. Tad Boyle always uh, says, what will your legacy be? Um, and, you know, he talked earlier in the week about the potential, or last week, about the potential of a team going to four consecutive NCAA tournaments. This recruiting class will go to three out of four. Uh, obviously, anyone who was on the team last year cannot go to four, con- four consecutive NCAA tournaments in their career. But it's, it, it, it's a part of leaving your legacy. This, this team's legacy is going to be a great one, a more than 80 wins, uh, three NCAA tournament appearances. The challenge now is what, the, what else is your legacy? You know, 22 wins, most in program history in the regular season. That's a hell of a legacy to live. Uh, the first team to get a, a, a Pac-12 tournament by, that's a great legacy to have. It's all about raising the bar for the next class, and to do that, it would be a very, very nice accomplishment uh, for this team. In Colorado, I believe if they win against Utah, it would be their fourth road Pac-12 win or third Pac-12 road win. I'm looking it up right now. I'm not a stats guy. I'm looking it up right now, but I wrote an article earlier in this season saying that that saying if the Buffs got three, it would be remarkable and they'd be dead set for the NCAA tournament. Obviously, they're dead set right now either way, but, you know. We didn't know they were going to clean up at home that well. Right. We didn't know that they were going to go 16-1 and at home and beat Arizona at home. So, point being they're in a really good position right now, and anything kind of that comes on top of this is just gravy. Right, exactly. Um, and while we're talking about seeding and, and you know stuff from the last question, why don't I talk about what the Buffs need to do to get a top four seed? What the Buffs need to do is first off beat Utah. No matter what, they need to beat Utah because they trail both Arizona and California by a few games. They trail Arizona by a half game. They tra- trail California by a game and a half because. Uh, the half game's in there because Colorado, of course, hasn't played Utah yet. Yet, So Colorado's played um, one more game than everyone else uh, because, you know, they, they, have, they have the one rivalry game left and none of these other teams do. For the Buffs to get the seed over Arizona, all that needs to happen is Cal needs to beat Arizona. 
So if Cal beats Arizona and the Buffs or, beat... Or Stanford, but that's very unlikely. Right, it, exactly. If Cal or Stanford beat Arizona and Colorado beats Utah, Colorado will be a top four seed due to a tiebreaker. If California gets swept this weekend by Arizona and Arizona State and Colorado beats Utah, Colorado will get a top four seed due to a tiebreaker. So what the Buffs need is a win, first off, and either help from uh, Cal or help from... Arizona and Arizona State. Do you know uh, which of those, what that matchup is? Uh, which day the Cal-Arizona matchup is? I'm looking it up right now. Give me one second. Cal plays Arizona on 3-3 at 7 so o'clock. That's, that's the first game. So that's going to be on Thursday. Thursday. Either way, it's going to be before the Buffs play Utah. The Buffs could be going into that Utah game knowing that a win gets them a top four seed uh, if Arizona loses the first game of the weekend. And Cal plays Arizona State at 6 o'clock on Saturday, so that game will be over before the Buffs game is completely over. So they'll know at halftime what the score of that game was. They probably won't. I mean, Tad Boyle might go check that score. I don't know. I I don't know. I've never been in that situation with them. Every team's different. Some teams like to know that stuff. Some teams like to say, let's just go take care of business. We don't need to know anything that's going on. Right. The game start times are an hour and a half different. But my point is, you know, I've always been a baseball guy, and you're always watching the out-of-town scoreboard in baseball, whether it's game three or game 162. It's just part of baseball. It's right there on the wall. So you wonder if, you know, Utah makes the out-of-town scoreboard a little bit bigger on – on Saturday night, but that'll be a really interesting situation, and I think Saturday and both Thursday will be really fun for Buffs fans and just trying to see whether or not they can do something that has not been done before. I mean, it's bas- it's March basketball that matters. If you don't get excited over that, uh, it's not for you. You know, it's, college basketball isn't your thing, obviously. Uh, March basketball, to me, is probably the most exciting thing in all of sports. Uh, I think, you know, there's just something about uh, the way that every the way the hype builds around it, and obviously the tournament is the cap of it. But even the fact that you know CU fans have the opportunity to be scoreboard watching this week uh, to find out you know if they're going to get a buy in the Pac-12 tournament, I think it's kind of exciting, and I think that's something that everyone shouldn't take for granted. And I, and I know we've talked about this a little bit, but really, you wrote it. It was our headline the other day. This is the golden era of Colorado basketball. Uh, it's never been better than this. And we don't know if it'll ever get better than this. So take it in, cherish it, because it's amazing. It's really cool. And, you know, it, it's, not, it's not very often that a school that was really built on football has a chance to take this much pride in their basketball program. And may, it happens at, a, you know, a couple dozen schools. Hasn't really happened at Colorado very often. The fact that, you know, in this downtime for the football team, you've had the basketball team here to kind of uh, quell your sadness I don't think that should be taken for granted. I, I think people really should uh, soak this all in. And while we're on the case of uh, things that are specific to college basketball and things that make college basketball great, and while you're already starting to rant a little bit, court storming. There, this became a big issue this week with Colorado storming the court against Arizona. This always seems to happen right after the Super Bowl as there's some court storm and they make this the case for every single court storm. But Sean Miller had some pretty... I would say noteworthy comments about the court storm and Tad Boyle came back and they didn't catch as much notes, but Tad Boyle had some interesting things to say about the court storming. Well, what are your opinions on it? I wrote a whole column about it. Uh, and I think Puff Twitter knows my, uh, Buff Twitter knows my opinion on it. Right. First of all, I think, uh, everyone should stop trying to tell college kids what to do. 
Uh, that's my first thought on it. And is stop like stop worrying about what what eighteen to twenty one year old kids are doing because whatever they're doing is to maximize memories, maximize fun, maximize you know their college experience. I'm I'm so sick of people saying oh well, they should be doing this this and this. Um, as for Sean Miller's comments, I think he uh, there's a little bit of hyperbole in there. I think it's a it's a little bit of a stretch to say an Arizona player is going to punch a student like uh, that's a strong man argument. That is a it's it's a yeah it's a way for him to spice up his argument that I'm sure it might happen someday where you know a, a, a player shoves someone or something. You know, Caleb Tarzuski isn't going to cold cock somebody on the floor at the Coors Event Center because he got bumped into. That's it's a bit of a stretch for me. But I do understand where he's coming from. I do understand that it is a dangerous moment for opposing uh, for opposing players. I mean, let's let's be frank here. Students, uh, especially drunk students, are not the smartest people in the world. There's a good chance that and I'm sure it's happened. One of them is going to get down there and try and provoke one of those players. You know, it's it's not uh, as much as I'd love it to be. It's not always about, hey, let's go celebrate with our team. It's my emotions are running high. I want to go tell Caleb Tarzuski to S my D or something like that. You know, it, it's. And, and I've sat in the first row of the scene and right there next to the bench. They're provoking those players all game. All game. So what exactly. do you think is going to happen as soon as they get onto the court? Right. So I totally understand where Sean Miller's coming from. It's a scary uh uh, it's a scary moment for him, I'm sure, every time. So I think maybe there could be um, precautions taken to hold it off for 20 seconds. You know, it, it might sound stupid as as it happens, but I think once it happens once, everyone will realize, oh, it didn't really change much. You know, it's almost like there's going to be this, uh, it'll build the suspense even more. You know, everyone is waiting on the edge of their seats while the security guards hold them back. Uh, and, you know, the players are waiting there for the team, for, uh, for the students, and as soon as you know the referees and Sean Miller and his team get off the court, then you let the floodgates down, and it's like it's almost like it, you know you built it up even more. Yeah, they were really trying to prevent the court storm, anyways, at Coors Event Center on Wednesday. Good luck. And right, that's basically what what happened is you know you have fans jumping over the barrier instead of going through the aisle. I mean, how hard is that? But what I really liked, and I forget which school does this. I think it was Kansas State a few years ago when they upset Kansas is they put all their security guards, almost like 75% of them, they, they put them in front of the scorer's table, and they all went arm-in-arm arm and locked so that the teams could shake hands right in front of the scorer's table, and that was the only area where no one could get to no matter what because everyone, you know, the security guards were arm-in-arm. Arm. No one was getting from between the scorer's table and their arms, and that's where they were shaking hands. And I really liked that because then, you know, there's nothing preventing, you know, there's nothing there. Uh, so I really liked that plan. But the way it was at Coors Event Center, and it, I thought it was done pretty well because everyone went straight to the center of the court and went to go find Josh Scott. They weren't trying to find Caleb Tarzuski. I've watched the court storm video a few times. I was there, obviously. Uh, so, and the one thing that concerns me is what happens to your players. Because as we know, a ski booker banged up his shoulder after that Kansas game because the fans threw him down to the court. Right, and uh, Josh Scott got his ankle that's been – He's been laboring, stepped on, in in all that madness, and he was. I mean, he's fine, but that is that's scary stuff. I mean, can you imagine? Josh Scott has the best game of his career, and he has to miss Senior Day because some, you know, drunk student jumped on his back and wanted to take a selfie, right, or whatever. Yeah. Um, I think you know, it, it's one of those things, though. It's 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 part of it. It's part of, of it is college basketball. It's part of college basketball. It's 
it's you know we you wrote this and we talked about it. It's it's the reason those students showed up. It's part of the reason those students come to Arizona and they don't come to Washington State is because they are thinking court storm. They're thinking history. They're thinking you know true college basketball big time atmosphere. So uh, you can't take it out. I think you know there should be precautions taken to make it safer. Why not? There should be precautions taken to make everything safer. Football, whatever it is. So, you know, I, I, I hate people saying, you oh, know, they shouldn't storm the court or don't storm the court against this team. You can only storm the court against this team. I'm sick of that stuff. I will admit, though, there has to be a way to make it safer, and, and I think they should. Yeah, I agree with that. And uh, while you talk about Josh Scott, I want to bring this up as well. Tyler talked about it a little bit. Uh, the question was, does Spencer Dinwiddie get his jersey retired at Coors Event Center, or at least honored or something like that? And I said, hold this for the podcast because I want to talk about this in terms of Josh Scott. And, you know, your answer was easily he gets his jersey up. I agree with you. There's no question. Josh might even get on that board where it says we're legends roam, to to be honest. Uh, And we were talking about this as Josh Scott left the Coors Event Center after his last game on Sunday. Josh Scott walked up. uh, Instead of going out the back way, he walked up the stairs in front of the C unit, walked out of the building to go home. But... He, the way he always leaves. The way he always leaves. But <laughs> By himself. I always right. think it's funny that Josh Josh Scott, the best player on the team, always just walks home by himself after. The, I don't know. In his like, Crocs. Doesn't right. it feel like he should have, like, a crew that's, right. like, there, and they all, you know, walk back together or whatever? He, he walked home with Mitch after one of the games, Mitch so, Lombard. Yeah. But that was but it. Usually he just alone. struts up the stairs in his Crocs and, goes, and walks home. And we were talking about how great it would it have been instead of walking up the regular staircase through the C unit, he walked a little bit to the left under the Where Legends Rome uh, mural is. And we were like, that would have been the coolest picture ever because Matt was there, obviously, our photographer, and, you know, we were trying to get pictures of him and whatnot. But, you know, he belongs probably on that mural. He belongs at least to have his jersey retired in the rafters. As for Spencer, we don't know... Uh, your knock on him was that he didn't have the senior moment. He didn't have the moment to go out on in his career. Well, Josh Scott just had his, and he potentially could have at least one or two more. Right, and to me, Josh Scott has uh, – it's one of those unquestionables to me. I, I think it, it comes down to um, the fact that he played all four years at a high level. Um, just a couple numbers here. I know I said I'm not a stats guy earlier, but I'm going to bust oh, some stats okay. here. Courtesy of – uh, Goose from All Buffs, who's also provided us with the microphones tonight. That's why we sound so good, even though we always sound great. Uh, just some projections here of where Josh is likely to finish at the end of his career. He's either going to finish fourth or third all-time in rebounds. He's either going to finish uh, he's either going to finish eighth or seventh in scoring. Probably eighth. He'll probably finish eighth in scoring. He's going to finish third for all centers in assists. He's going to finish second in free throws made. He's going to finish second in block shots. He's going to finish third in starts. And he's going to finish fifth in minutes. That is incredible. And that is, not only is it deserving of of a jersey up, that's in the conversation of best of all time. Yeah, and not only are you talking about the jersey up and the golden era of Colorado Buffalo's basketball, but Josh Scott, and depending how long this lasts, could be the best college player during this era because of Spencer and Andre leave early and Corey and Alec. I mean, Corey was a little bit earlier, but Alec leaves early. So 
Josh was the only guy that played all four years. And, you know, if he he stayed, so he has all these records. Spencer, Alec, uh, Andre don't have these records. So Josh Scott potentially is the best Colorado basketball player over the best era of Colorado basketball. He's in the conversation. And, I mean, let's say they make a run. They go to the Sweet 16. Then you're really considering, is Josh Scott the best player in Colorado basketball history? At least his legacy is damn near close to the best. I mean, obviously, Chauncey Billups' legacy includes a finals MVP in the NBA. But that I, some, I kind of like to separate pro careers and college careers and yeah. put, make them their own entities. I was talking so, about this with Neil Wolk of CUBuffs.com, and he wanted to make the argument that Scott Wedman was the best player in, C, in Buffs history, just talking about strictly his college career. And then you factor in Wedman's pro career, which was 12 years in the pros, sixth man award, and uh, was a fantastic player for the Celtics as well, and uh, was on those championships team. But he was also talking about uh, Birdie, and he was also talking about uh, Cliff Mealy. And, you know, it's so hard to say when you start getting the, co the college and pros careers a little murky because what if Spencer just lashes onto a team next year and all of a sudden becomes a starting point guard for the next 10 years? Right. And for me, I want to touch on the Spencer thing a little bit. Um, Spencer was great. I mean, maybe the most enjoyable college player I've watched in Boulder. Electric. Uh, just the way that he uh, took over a game, the way that he led a team – the way that he could really do most anything he wanted, um, the way he dealt with the media, I always have to get that in. The way he conducted himself as a representative of the university, all of that off the charts. It's just, it's hard for me with only two and a half years and uh, e even, you know, the best things that happened when he was there were when it wasn't exactly his team. And so that's the only knock for me. As a player, you put him in, in a one game box at any time, I'll probably take him over anyone. The injury is so unfortunate, but it took away the chance of him being the guy that led the team to something special. Uh, and to me, that really just it really it sucks that it, it injury took that away. But it really puts uh, a cloud kind of over the legacy, and it keep it, it it I guess not a cloud. It puts a ceiling on the legacy because he wasn't able to take the team to the heights that they really should have been able to get to. But to tell you how good Spencer is, and you know this, but to our listeners, to remind you about how good Spencer was, and to remind you about how good Josh Scott is, Wednesday night was the first time the Buffs beat a top 10 opponent, or a ranked team for that matter, since Spencer went down, and that was Spencer's last home game against Oregon. That's how good Spencer was, that's how good Josh Scott is. You need a player that elite to beat those top 25 teams. Right, I think it's a better uh, a better measure of how good Spencer is because Josh had has had a lot of shots since Spencer went down to beat one. So it's really a better measure of um, how great Spencer was. And again, I, I, Spencer's probably the best player of this era to me. Uh, Alec was something else. And, and as an NBA player, um, he is better than Spencer and Woody is right now and good chance he always will be. But... There was something about the way that Spencer commanded a game, the way he took over a team. Uh, to me, I, I would, if I'm starting it, if I'm, how about this? If I'm starting a team right now uh, and I'm getting freshman Spencer Dinwiddie as an option or a freshman of any of those guys, I'm probably taking Spencer. Yep, I, I, I would agree with that. One more thing before we wrap up the podcast. The guy who's probably going to be the leader of the team next year, or at least the guy who's going to have the offense go through him, Derek White. 
He transfers from UCCS, and Ryan went on a little Twitter rant about him today, and, and for good reason, and I want Ryan to give this entire story. So I want you to start with the backstory, the way you explained it to me earlier, because I wasn't in on this. So why did you first start going on this Twitter rant? Okay, so this morning I'm you know, doing my morning Twitter scroll. I come across a picture of Derek White with Alex Welsh, who is the star of UCCS, uh, one of Derek's best friends, if not his best friend. Uh, after the game on Friday night, I, I Google Alex Welsh to see you know, how important the game was. Uh, turns out, huge win over Metro State. In, in the win, Alex Welsh sets the all-time career scoring mark at UCCS. Knowing how great Derek White was at UCCS, I think to myself, that was probably Derek's record. Click on the article uh, on UCCS website. It simply just says Derek White sets the career scoring mark, and this is what he has now. Alex Welsh. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. Alex Welsh. Alex Welsh sets the career scoring mark, and here's what he has now. And it was a great game, and this, this, and this. I think hmm, that's weird that they didn't mention whose a record it was. So I go to the next article. Alex Welsh approaching scoring record. It was from before the game. Ah, oh, they must have it in here. Go in there. Alex Welsh is this many points away from setting the career scoring mark. Nothing about who it was. So now I've realized there's got to be something fishy here. And to f I search around a little more. Still can't find it on UCCS's website. So I just decide, well, I'm going to look at Derek White's bio on cubuffs.com. Of course, right there it is. Derek White holds the career scoring mark at the University of Colorado, Colorado Springs. Uh, and that's when I realized that the University of Colorado, Colorado Springs is still salty about the fact that Derek White earned his way through his play there to play at a higher level and, and better his career. And the fact that they are still upset about that, because if you remember going back to when Derek left, there were some quotes that came out of that school um, that you could tell had some salt on them. You could tell it was, oh, uh, we're disappointed Derek left, uh, you know, his legacy here with one, with one more year. We thought it could have been really special. It wasn't a we're so happy for Derek that he, you know, earned this. Uh, and, and to be honest, it really really pisses me off uh, to see the way they're acting about this because this is a guy in Derek White who not only held the career scoring record, he also holds the career assist mark record. And before Derek White, there was no UCCS basketball. No one had ever heard of UCCS basketball before Derek White. In fact, no one had ever even heard of, Derek, of UCCS basketball until Derek White decided he was transferring to Colorado. Uh, that was the first anyone knew that UCCS had a basketball program that isn't an RMAC fan. So the fact that this guy put them on the map, there I swear to you, there is no UCS, UCCS basketball without Derek White. He went there, he put them on the map, he is the best player in the history of that school, and the fact that they can't be happy for him, that he got a chance to go live his dream and play Division I basketball, and possibly even be on a stage that gives him a better chance to go to the next level, which is the ultimate dream, is honestly sickening to me and it's sickening to me because I don't know this for a fact but I can imagine that deep down that hurts Derek White it hurts Derek White that his coach um, his program the place that he went there and really made special doesn't appreciate him and they're more just upset that he left it really really sickens me because uh, Derek White in the amount of time that I've been able to spend with him is a very special kid uh, he's he is jo the, all the word, all the things that you hear about Josh Scott. That's Derek White. He is the type of person you want your son to grow up to be, 
And so for a program to try and sweep his legacy under the rug. Erase um, him from the record ra- books, so erase him fr- Essentially erase him from the record books uh, is deplorable. It's sickening. It's disgusting. Uh, and to me, and, and it's not like this is some school in Nebraska or anything. This is a school that is affiliated with the University of Colorado. Right, and I've heard a few things, and I don't want to go too far into it, about their feelings towards the University of Colorado and, and feelings of uh, disdain there. And it's just so dumb, and it's so petty for a school to act like uh, they were up, be upset that they were upstaged by what is the flagship program of this this state and and they wouldn't exist at all if it wasn't for the University of Colorado. Right, their president is the same university president that the CU's president is. So to me, um, I'm I'm really it really it really the more I thought about it, the more it got under my skin today. Uh, and like I said, it's deplorable, it's disgusting, it's outraging, it's any bad thing you can think about for that school, that athletic department, that coaching staff to act like that is. What's it's the opposite of what's great about college basketball. It's it's what's wrong. It's what's wrong with the whole system. And uh, all I can hope is that is that Derek White takes a little bit of advice from Chance the Rapper. And I laugh in my head because I bet that my ex looking back like a pillar of salt. Uh. I'm gonna play that right now over where we're talking, and the rest of the song will outro the podcast. But I don't want to end on such a salty note or such an outraged note because we're a fun podcast. We like having fun. We like having fun with all you guys. So I want to bring this up, and I want to bring this up opportunity up to the BSM Buffs faithful. Not only are we going to probably have a meet together in Vegas, but uh, not officially all the plans are laid out for this yet, but next Monday at the Blake Street Tavern, we are going to try and have uh, some of our fans come out for a pre-Las Vegas party. We're going to come here, uh, do the podcast at about 5 o'clock on Monday, when we always do after the Buffs practice. be here for three or four hours. Uh, we'll do our podcast as usual. We're going to try and have some special guests. Uh, but we want you guys to come out and be a part of the podcast. We want to hang out with you guys. We want to see what your plans are in Vegas. We, we want to meet up with you guys in Vegas as well. If you can't get out to Vegas, come to this. We'll meet up with you here. And uh, we love the Blake Street Tavern. We want you guys to love the Blake Street Tavern as well. We know you guys love the podcast, so come in and join in and interact with us on the podcast. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Uh, we, we did this a couple years back with Buff Stampede and Will, and, and we got everyone out here. And it's fun to just meet people, and, and you know, we all talk, we all interact every day. I mean, we we spend more time with each other on Buff's Twitter than we spend probably with most of our friends because it's where we spend our days. Uh, and so it's always great to meet people, and I think um, it'll be a nice little segue to the meetup in Vegas if people are going out there because, you know, it, it's, it takes a little of the awkwardness off of it. We'll get the awkwardness out of the way here at the Blake Street Tavern over a couple drinks, uh, and then we'll meet up again a couple days later in Vegas. And, if, and like you said, if, if you're not getting out to Vegas, it'll be a great time to come and talk Buffs basketball um, with, with anyone, you know. Of course, it's great to hear us talk on this podcast, but you don't get enough Tyler Ziskin. Tyler Ziskin is as great of a person to talk Colorado basketball with as there is out there. I'll be honest, I ask him about stuff. Right, and exactly. I'm, I'm on the inside. I ask him about right. stuff. So um, there's, it's a great opportunity to get out here and talk about what, for all of us, uh, is maybe you know one of our favorite things, and that's 
uh, following Colorado and, and following this basketball team. And we can even talk football if you want. Yep, and uh, that'll wrap up the BSN Buffs podcast for this Monday, uh, weekday, February 29th. Next Monday, we will be out here again. Please join us. Uh, it'll be the free Las Vegas pod, the free uh, Pac-12 tournament pod. We're going to have a lot of special things going let's on the, there. Let's call it the BSN Buffs free Vegas party. Yep, I'm down. And for Ryan Koningsberg, I am Jake Shapiro. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. From you when I get home You better not be on the phone Talking up a storm like you usually do Talking to your friends like you usually do Telling them I never spend time with you It's hard to find a time we've been sipping all dark, period on for no reason. Popping tags up a echelon for no reason. Seen this bad little John, she was perfect. I let her push the foreign right now, is she worth it? Falling in the middle of the club, no jersey. I don't want no liquor, cause I've been drinking that dirty. Bring that ace by the case, my niggas with me. Bring some ice for my cup, I drink with me. Diamond, 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 diamonds on me dancing. 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 I'm familiar with.